Hey film fans and welcome along to another episode of The Real Take. So what do Kate Blanchett, Jim Carrey, Robert Downey Jr. and so many more people that I could name have in common? Well, this week we are applauding famous actors for their performances of other famous actors. I mean, it is quite difficult for a talented actor to bring a character to life on screen, but it's important to note it's even more challenging to portray a well-known face, whether that's through a biopic or sort of a hilarious riff. There are many actors who manage to portray their peers with genuine integrity and talent, and we're going to take a look at some of these performances in this episode. So let's roll titles. Sit down and grab a glass Sinead Ross and I'll have made a podcast It's the real take, breaking it down Having fun and talking movies Movie. Yes, it is The Real Take, the podcast by film fans for film fans. Please do like and subscribe to The Real Take and support us lowly podcast hosts and then also never miss another episode. And Niall and Ross are here. How are you getting on, guys? Today I will be playing <laughs> Cary Grant. I'm Niall playing Cary Grant. Hello, hello <laughs> but all of In- you. Is that Michael Caine or Cary Grant? Well, that's... No, that's Cary Grant. Judy, okay. Judy, Judy. Right. That sounds like Michael Caine a little bit. Yeah, it does. Uh, well, in the well, spirit you know. of, you know, actors playing actors, I thought it could be a podcaster playing another podcaster. Oh, oh. interesting. So I'm going to be Niall. <laughs> Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Perfect. Good. Yeah. Give, give oh, Ross all the, all the awards. All the awards. <laughs> well, do you know, scenes as you are already playing other people i actually had a little challenge for the only Ooh. actor on the podcast <laughs> if he wants to take on the challenge oh. it will be a challenge that will blow all challenges out of the water any quiz that we've ever done any if sort of anyone oh, wow. knows anything about blowing competitions it's Niall. Yeah, it is it is Niall. you know this way it's all right things. okay uh, so if you're do you, are you willing to take on the challenge i have for you Challenge accepted. Fantastic. Okay, you need, we're going to see how many actors that I have here that you can impersonate in a short <laughs> I period of time. I can't impersonate people, though. I'm not a... Oh, look. Okay, right. Go well, on. You said you were up for the challenge. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes, now, yeah, to, too late to, now. to add to this, uh, we will put a little maybe timer on the clock. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, there for wasn't enough sake. pressure There wasn't already. enough pressure with this. Just yeah. for a bit of fun, right? Uh, so, Ross, how, how many minutes do you think? Or do you think a minute is too little? Or what? How do many do you have? Yeah. Ross Poor doesn't know. Impression. Like... Uh, boy, 40, 50 minutes per impression, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fine. Yeah, uh, yeah give okay. a, bit of, uh, a minute's too much nearly. Four, 30 seconds. Okay. 30 seconds to kind of mask per- away. Per impression. Per, okay. impression. per impression. Do I start okay. a timer? You start a timer. Hold on. There, right? I, you, you hold on. You can't just throw it at me. Hold on till I get a setup. You get uh, a timer. Okay. Set up. The timer. Oh, stop. Is good to go whenever you're ready. Ready. Okay, tell uh, me when to start. I'm, I'll tell you when to start. Right. So we are going to kick off easy. This is your okay. wheelhouse. You love right. this guy. You kind of talk okay. about him a lot. You. All right. Uh, you know, impersonate yeah. him a lot. He's. He you don't need to give me clues. You can okay. just tell me who it is. Okay. So we ready. <laughs> The timer is on, is it? Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Sean Connery, go. I really, really hate that you've 
put this on me, Sinead, because I didn't expect that there'll be something like this happening in this episode. <laughs> okay, I think he's pretty much nailed that one. Yeah, okay. sure enough. Uh, Let's the ne- stop there. No, that no, sounds fantastic. That sounds fantastic. But the next one, again, is kind of in your wheelhouse, and you pretty much okay. did it earlier on. It is right. Michael Caine. Go for it. Oh, there we go. All right, Sinead, you have sprung this on me with no prior warning, and that is not nice. Very good. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Nailed it. Getting a little bit trickier now, okay? <laughs> okay. And, but you could play this actor in uh, in a Western if you want, right? Oh, okay. Are we ready, timer? Yeah? Yeah. Uh, it's Clint Eastwood. Go for it. <sighs> I really don't like the fact that you've, uh, you've pulled this surprise challenge on me. Sinead. It's Batman mixed with Clint Eastwood, but we give it that to him. That was pretty good. I like <laughs> that. I thought that was different. No, Batman. Yeah. That's Clint good. Eastwood yeah. says very little, so that was admirable. Yeah, yeah like that's that. good. Yeah. That's good. Okay, mm. this you're going to love, you being the film historian that you are. You're going to okay. really love this one now, right? Okay, 30 seconds on the clock. Give me Humphrey mm-hmm. Bogart. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I've broken him. I've broken him. You, you, you know how to... How to do a challenge like this, doll face. You just uh, <laughs> put your lips really together and then you whistle. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's I not good. Say, I not like good. That. Okay, yeah. we're circling back to your wheelhouse again. This is your comfort zone. <laughs> okay. 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 But there's a bit of an extra challenge with this, right? Jimmy right. Stewart, but he's a massive fan of Christina Aguilera. Okay. Who isn't? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, you know, uh, one of one of my favorite uh, popular music songs is uh, "A Genie in a Bottle." Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I really, really like it. Can I just cut in there, Sinead? Yeah. I want to hear your Jimmy Stewart singing Christina Aguilera. <laughs> uh, if if you if you take take a look at me, uh, and I'll I'll tell you, I'll tell you what you'll see. I, I, I'm I'm a genie in a bottle. Oh, fantastic! Hey. That's, that's, that's I'm impressed great. that he knows the actual lyrics. That's amazing. And Who finally, doesn't? finally, Ooh. now I do have one. Actually, no, hang on. Before finally, I do have a fi- before finally one. Right? This is good. Please I think, let this end. I think this Please. is going to be a good challenge for you, right? Okay. Anthony Hopkins. He's drinking tequila, but as Hannibal Lecter. Okay. Ah. <laughs> uh. A census taker? What? No, I can't. What? What is it? He's, yeah. Oh, how does he? How does he talk? He goes. Uh, a, a, a census taker once tried to test me, but I ate his liver with some nachos and a nice tequila. No, I can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> you were getting it there. You were getting it. I was. I'd have to. Pra- I'd have to practice at that. Time. Yeah, I think that he's getting hello, he hungry for Hello, Clarice. Would you like some ticket? No, that's not it. Yeah. <laughs> Very good, though. That was good. Okay, now this is back to your wheelhouse again. It's priest number two from a date with Mad Mary. <laughs> but, but he's drunk on communion wine. <laughs> Do you, whoever you are, take this fella, whoever he is, as your lawful wedded husband? Ah, oh, there's Mary there in the stalls. How are you, Mary? Hey, that 
was a pretty epic challenge. That was very I'm good. Yeah. Very impressive. Oh my god. I mean, right. and you I'm gonna to lie down now. You guys can do the rest of the podcast. <laughs> you fell into character there pretty quickly. You fell into character, <laughs> and it kind of well. You that's know, my secret. That's my secret cap. I'm always drunk on communion wine. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very specific kind of drunk. It yeah. is. It yeah. is. And you know, it like you know, it is difficult anyway for an actor, Niall, to play a character. You know, bring a character to life. But there's a certain amount of, well, a huge amount of talent and a little bit of courage, I think, that is needed. Yeah. when it takes on you know an actor playing an iconic actor. Well, I and I think I demonstrated quite, yes, quite really. well there yeah. that the problem is <laughs> that you don't want to do an impression yes. because you're an actor, yes. you're not an impressionist, you know. Mm. Um, so you might get the voice down, you might look very much like the the person that you're trying to portray, but you want to show the the real person, and I think that's what it's it's, you know, that's what attracts so many. I mean, these films get made because they're about icons, a lot of them. Or they're actors that people know really well. And obviously that attracts other actors to play them. But it is, it's a, it's a, a poison chalice sometimes too. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. And like, you know, as you say there, like, I mean, the, the, there's obviously an appeal there to, to play the role. There, there has to be a massive dollop of ego thrown into the mix there to go, oh, I'm going to play this person, you know? Like, I mean, it, like what's your take on it like what's your view of actors that take on these iconic roles like we're talking about the likes of you know Kate Blanchett and the Aviator playing Catherine Hepburn we're talking about uh, Tom Holland very soon is going to be playing Fred Astaire that's kind of a bit of a left to field kind of one I'm thinking in terms of the choice for him now mm. career wise what what is your take on on the whole idea of actors playing actors what do you think Ross Someone has to do it, and what better person? <laughs> what better person to play an actor than an actor? It's <laughs> um, it's it, it is a bold move, as I was saying as well. Look, when it comes to these actors, some of them are have gone beyond the roles they've played in their lifetime. They become icons of pop culture, and like your favorite musicians or other historical figures or anything like that. There's so much um, that we already have assumed about the character, and um, when when you talk about um, you know some of these some of these actors say the likes of james dean for example there's so much you might have never seen any of his movies but you know of him you have seen his pictures you know he has this persona of cool he's a part of he's a part of our pop culture he's shorthand for cool and living fast and dying young so when someone like james franco goes on to play that role like how do you get that across while still sowing a human element of it? And how much do you lean into what people already presumed about that character? How much do you surprise them? It's a difficult balancing act. And I think we saw um, it with the new Marilyn Monroe movie coming out yeah. that uh, depending on how far you lean in, into it, you can get an awful lot of stick as well. So I think in some ways it can be a thankless job. Um, uh, but in other ways, you get to show a different side of a much loved um uh part of part of our culture mm. totally and like you yeah. say you know it's a kind of a fine line you know it could make or break maybe a career it could kind yeah. of you know be a, b- a bad stain on someone's kind of cv if it goes wrong as well mm. you know i mean it's funny you brought up the fred astaire mm. um biopic like that to me now is bizarre casting but mm. having not seen it 
you know, I mean, I know uh, Tom Holland can dance. He's he's very athletic. So yeah, maybe. Mm. But when I think Fred Astaire, I don't think Tom Holland. No. But you know, I'm going to reserve judgment. Um, it is a case like you talking about your is it blonde it's called the yes. new netflix movie with anna de Armas as marilyn monroe mm. and some of these and it is like the case of they are icons so you look mm. at elvis you look at marilyn you look at even james dean i think we will see more like we will see more uh depictions of of these actors or performers on screen but then you know some of the ones that we're talking about today you you kind of go well, that's kind of it. Like, or, yeah. I don't know if we'll see another uh, another Andy Kaufman, you mm. know, portrayed on on screen, or I don't know if we'll see, you know. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? You know, this is the thing. Um, people's memories are short. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm. although you might go, my Elvis was Kurt Russell. You might go, my Elvis <laughs> now is Austin Butler. Yeah. You know. So. Yeah. yeah, and 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 it is. It's uh, like. With some of the ones that we have here, like you say, like a lot of these kind of roles are they're taking on icons, you know, like I mentioned there in the intro, Robert Downey Jr. He played Chaplin, you know, you have uh, like Jim Carrey playing um, Andy Kaufman again, you know, it's 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 big, big figures throughout that have left a mark already. So Mm. the caliber of actor needs to be somebody that's going to give a safe pair of hands is what I'm going to say like you know mm. like I mean you give a role uh, of playing Catherine Hepburn to somebody like Kate Blanchett absolutely you do you know what I mean yeah yeah you, like you don't, that's a no-brainer yeah but like you that, don't like... necessarily give Lindsay Lohan Elizabeth Taylor is what I'm going to say like you know <laughs> it, like there's but you do give maybe Natalie Portman Audrey Hepburn so or not Audrey what who did she play she played sorry Jackie Kennedy, I'm thinking of. Yeah, um, although Jennifer Love Hewitt did play. Yes, she played in the movie. Hepburn, yeah. <laughs> no, I Which didn't see like, that, so I can't. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, of... look, some of them, and uh, was the Lindsay Lohan one? That was a TV movie. I yeah. think the Jennifer Love Hewitt one was a TV movie as well. Mm. It's it's dependent as well on mm. you know who you can afford. Yes, <laughs> Do you know what I mean. So they Maybe probably put a different tone as well. Do you mm. know, like, yeah, Do you know, it depends. Um, I think Helena Bonham Carter played Elizabeth Taylor in a, a TV movie as well about her relationship with Richard Burton. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. And that's like, that's closer casting, I think. You yes. Know, even though, you know, you might go, well, physically they're not, but like she has more of the energy, you mm. would say, of, of Liz yeah. Taylor. And sometimes, um, sometimes the performance is more important than the physical closeness. Like, I remember, mm. I know he's not an actor now, but when they did the two Stephen, Steve Jobs biopics, one oh, yeah. was Michael Fassbender, who doesn't have too much of a resemblance to Steve Jobs. And then you had Ashton Kutcher, play, who looks exactly almost yeah. like a young Stephen Jobs. But it doesn't, it doesn't translate to a better performance, no. you know, no, just because no. they happen to look more like the actor. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I, I just recently, this is completely off topic, but I've seen a film recently uh, called Vengeance starring Ashton Kutcher and he was fantastic in that. So he is mm. capable of capable a good performance, it, yeah. just maybe not in, in that in that film. Yeah, yeah. completely. Uh, so moving into what we've sort of selected then for, for tonight, um, we're going to start off with yourself, Ross. And this one, now I wouldn't have had a notion who Andy Kaufman was at all like really I wouldn't he wouldn't have been on any sort of radar for me now my Mm. husband who's more into comedians and you know that kind of thing he definitely would have known who he is but this movie 
for me is up there with just like this is how you do it right you get somebody like Jim Carrey this is his wheelhouse you know the whole comedy kind of aspect but as well as that he is a fantastic actor you know as well so this was a great pick for you yeah yeah and um you know it was um like yourself it was a movie when the first time i i saw this i was quite young it came out in 1999 and by the way we're talking about man on the moon which is the biopic of andy kaufman that stars jim carrey danny devito uh courtney love and paul giamatti and i wouldn't have been familiar with with andy kaufman um back when i first saw this movie it would have been maybe a couple of years after it came out um and i'm going with the irish saying Kaufman not the American Kaufman mm. um like I say Susan Sar- Sarandon instead of Susan Sarandon or Bernard instead of Bernard it just it just hits me wrong saying Kaufman <laughs> it's so what um, if you meet someone called Bernard Sarandon Kaufman <laughs> <laughs> what do you call him <laughs> I call it, I, say, I don't say anything I say get the fuck out okay. of my face yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah like so Andy Andy Kaufman he um he's like an offbeat comic and he was an actor that's why he's allowed to be included in the actor list yes, yes. he was an actor as well um so he's he's kind of main known um mainly known as like an offbeat comic although he wouldn't describe himself as, as a comic he would call himself a song and dance man i'm not sure how accurate that <laughs> exactly is um but he was a very interesting character uh and you know it's 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 as i say look the first time i watched this i had no idea who andy coffin was he he would have been far from a household name um in in ireland in particular maybe in america he would have been a bit um a bit better known um but he he was um so when i first watched it i thought it was just a story like a jim carrey vehicle of him just playing this offbeat comic who was a fictional creation and i just thought it was jim carrey with all his wonderful weirdness and i enjoyed it for for that uh, i was on young uh, watching it uh, it was only as i kind of got older i i found out a little bit a bit more about kaufman and really took an interest in him but i really didn't get a chance to re-watch the movie until recently i've had seen clips since because i remember watching it as a child and as a child i watched a little bit of like professional wrestling when i was a kid and i just remembered that jerry the king lawler has a really big role in this <laughs> and i thought that was a strange part of the script um so it's a strange part of andy's life <laughs> yeah yeah because i thought it was a weird inclusion in the film and then of course learning more about andy kaufman i was like oh this is all actually true <laughs> this all actually <laughs> happened um so uh, as i said andy kaufman broadly speaking he's a comedian but he doesn't really tell jokes he's been described as kind of a, a performance artist which which might fit him better but some people call him um an anti-comedian and so he mainly kind of operated or would have been in in his most prominence in kind of the mid to late 70s that's where we're really talking about here um and his performances are just kind of weird they're like they're full of kind of ruses and and kind of awkward exchanges and they they're kind of the whole way you time you're watching you're really wondering kind of what's real what isn't he pretends to get in rows with people um he's like a big troll basically he's just looking he's like a bold kid looking to get yeah. a reaction out of <laughs> and like you're, you're waiting for the punchline that kind of isn't there you know yeah. what i mean yeah. like he, he only knows what the punchline is half the time i think you know and a lot of the time it's stuff that like 
he finds it funny and he doesn't give a care if you find it funny. Yeah. Do you know, he's it's nearly like he's doing it for his own entertainment, for his own like little laugh. Um, but I kind of went down an Andy uh, Kaufman hole on YouTube there recently and there's some great clips of him online and he has no problem holding a joke on painfully long. <laughs> And, you know, um, and like he does this one where he goes on and he did a lot of like interviews, especially on Letterman, where he'd have part of sketches on that. And there was just one where he came on and he pretended to be really down on his look. Letterman was asking, like, you know, how's things going? He says, oh, my TV series got cancelled. I'm doing that. Uh, but he didn't do it over the top. It was just so subdued and subtle. And then eventually it ended with him going around asking the audience for money for donations it was <laughs> but it but it was right. it was wonderfully hilarious and only the way he can do it i think i yeah. i haven't seen a comedian before or since kind of oh there's nobody like him since no. or then don't know he's one i, of I think kind. there was i mean the reason as well that <clears throat> excuse me that that was so interesting is that there was an element of truth in it a little mm. bit because mm. he didn't like although he is <clears throat> probably better known certainly on this side of the Atlantic from the biopic um, that he was hugely su- successful in, in Taxi, the sitcom. Yeah. That got yes. cancelled and mm. he was like he went and did more and more bizarre kind of like he wa- he wasn't he wasn't riding high kind of on the success of that and maybe it's no. because his comedy was so ahead of its time maybe (laughs) i want to say bizarre as well but ahead of its time kind of as well because you you think of a lot of comedians now who you know they're they're kind of doing what he was doing you know Mm. 40 years ago so yeah i I would have noticed like especially i would have seen similarities in the likes of some of norm mcdonald's stuff in particular but jim Carrey was 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 a big fan and he really really went for this role as well um, he, so obviously he had a big influence on I think they had very different styles but I think Jim Carrey appreciated um, the different approach many, uh, maybe Andy Kaufman had um, but yeah I just think he was looking for a reaction in his work a strong reaction mm, be it positive yeah. or negative he just wanted to get that um, but uh, you see kind of some of those sketches throughout the film uh, he also has one of his kind of best well known I'm going to say characters I'm not sure it's quite that but it's the obnoxious lounge singer Tony Clifton Tony. Yeah. I love Tony Clifton ah Tony Clifton ah, <laughs> I'm going to actually play I'm going to play a little <laughs> clip of Tony Clifton here because he's fantastic now I so, say I say his character but like he like this is a typical Andy Kaufman. He always denied being Tony Clifton, and he'd get Tony Clifton to do support gigs for him, and and then like in other times he'd have Tony Clifton doing a set, and he'd walk out on stage. So people he confused people because they all yeah. assumed he was Tony Clifton. Sometimes his brother uh, was behind the costume. Sometimes it was co- his, his collaborator friend Bob Zmuda, who's played by by Paul G. Maddy in this movie. Sometimes it was him in the, in the costume. I think he was just trying to get people to scratch their heads as much as possible around Tony Clifton. Um, but he did uh, like he had a short career because unfortunately he passed away at, at a very young age. He was only thirty five when he passed away from from cancer. Of course, at that time he uh, had like pulled the wool over people's eyes for so many so many times that they thought this was like a ruse or yeah. a joke. They didn't really. They thought it was a hoax and were fully expecting him to, um, you know, turn up 
like a year later or something like that. Uh, some there's some people out there who still genuinely think, uh, ge- uh, genuinely think he's. I'm not sure if they're genuine anymore because it's been you know an awful long time. But think he's he's it's still part of a, a joke. He, but he, he would love that though. That's the thing. Uh, he would think that that's yeah. absolutely hilarious. Like I think you're right. Yeah, um, which which is great. But as as Niall said as well, I suppose besides you know he'd be known over this side of the Atlantic for Man on the Moon, the Jim you know this Jim Carrey movie, but he would have probably been best known in the states for Taxi, um, the the sitcom which he he starred in with the likes of Tony Danza and actually uh, Danny DeVito as well. Weirdly enough, who co-starred in this movie? Yeah, Yeah. Christopher Lloyd as well. I mean, I would I would have watched Taxi because it would have been on (laughs) TV over here, like. I would have seen Taxi before Man on the Moon, certainly. And it was a big hit. Like, it was, yeah. it, it enjoyed great success. He played Latka Gravis in it, and he's playing, um, like, he's playing this foreign character where, like, he's like, he's foreign. Like, he doesn't have to. I think he's from Caspiar, which is an island in the, a fictional island in the Caspian Sea. But he speaks in this meek, high pitched, heavy accented voice. Um, which I actually I, I found that character a little bit like in grating maybe I've seen char- too many characters like that <laughs> he would but, love that he would love yeah. the fact that you found it grating yeah. Yeah. and the fact but, uh, that it was in like a mainstream sitcom as well yeah. and there's yeah. people going I can't stand that guy Jesus yeah but he was a really popular character as well um, yeah yeah the, the Latka thing which is, which is, which is strange um, but hilariously like in the film um, there's a lot of things where Jim Carrey's playing playing Andy Kaufman. You're like, okay, this is artistic license. This is artistic license. And when you look it up afterwards, you know, sure, a lot of the things time-wise, you know, have been moved around to make a more kind of, uh, you know, conventional story or whatever. But a lot of this is true. It's like, mm. this is unbelievable. There's one part where when he's signing his, and this is like a, you know, broke-ass <laughs> comedian and didn't want to sign on for a, a sitcom, which would make him a fortune. He includes in his contract with Taxi that his lounge singer, Tony Clifton, listed as another person, would have guest, guest appearances. appearances on the show. And there's a great... I, I was watching... Um, they were doing a kind of... A, not quite a reunion thing, but they were interviewing the, the stars of Taxi, uh, Danny DeVito, Tony Danza, and... Um, Judd Hirsch was one. Judd Hirsch and also uh, um, Mary Lou Henner as well. Yeah, Mary Lou Henner, because I think she has a fantastic memory. I think she's known for that as well. She's one of those oh, people okay. who can yeah, see a page and memor- memorize it forever, whatever. But they all told this story about how Andy, well, Tony Clifton um, <laughs> showed up on stage and all the cast were, were told, all right, look, this is Andy. He's dressed up as Tony, but you have to address him as Tony. Uh, he arrives two hours late for the reading <laughs> with, and they all say this, with a prostitute on each arm. Brilliant. <laughs> and he starts like giving out saying, I've, re-ru- I've rewritten the script, I've changes here, changes there, just causing a massive fuss. And he pisses off everyone, you know, he pisses off everyone in, in the cast and <laughs> the set. When he comes back the next day, he does the same, even more disruptive. I think even later this time, really, really annoying people. And look, the decision is made where the producer has to fire him. So the producer has to go out and ring Andy, who is Andy Kaufman, who is pretending to be doing a gig in the other, the other side of the country. <laughs> so he has to he has to ring Andy while Andy pretends to be in Florida and say, well, look, you're going to have to fire him in person. He, we, so, so people were coming into the set who weren't even meant to be working that day to watch this. 
And of course, when they say he has to let him go, he kicks off a massive fuss, says he's going to sue them. The show's terrible. The script's terrible. Security have to drag him and his two um, um, professional streetwalkers off the set as well. <laughs> it gets uh, like it gets photographed and it's in printed in the in the newspaper and you can tell and this is the kind of person Andy Kaufman is you know he loves that sort of stuff um so it, it's a story about that so when I watched this again I said it didn't have a clue who Andy Kaufman was still really really enjoyed the movie later on read about it and re-watching it I was just like oh this is it's just a fantastic story about just an eccentric one of a kind um kind of person I didn't even get into the the, the wrestling stuff. Oh he, yeah, he wrestles women. So he wrestles funny. women exclusively. He he, yeah. he apparently was watching wrestling, um, and he got fascinated with the world of professional wrestling because it's all amped up and over the top and all that sort of stuff. And so he decided he wanted to be a bad guy wrestler, and he said he'd fight, but only women. And he became the intergender champion and you'd go out every week and say and you'd say the most sexist misogynistic stuff get the crowd really riled up and um yeah, yeah it was just himself by yeah. a girl essentially <laughs> well he beat he, he he beat he beat the, the women all along which annoyed people even more because they they didn't get their revenge but oh look i just think it's it's a great movie and uh you don't have to know where andy kaufman is but you you love watching it you guys have seen it like uh, oh yeah one, one, mm. yeah like i mean it, like 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 i said at the start there you know jim carrey playing him like this is where you know as you were saying earlier on um niall you kind of there could have been the danger of that impersonation couldn't there you know um but yeah. I think he really does inhabit Andy Kaufman and um, there's some amazing scenes and like that like you say Ross you know you go back and you look at the real stuff and you look at footage even from this stuff that was happening at the time and it's exactly him like it really is <laughs> yeah. and I, I mean I think we were telling you this before I think you've seen it as well Niall the, the documentary on Netflix Jim and Andy yeah yeah which and I, um, I think really you puts definitely a... seek that out yeah it's fantastic. yeah that's a double bill now yeah. for anybody mm-hmm. even if you have seen Man on the Moon I would say Look at that documentary. It's funny, you touched on it there a little bit, uh, Ross. Um, Jim Carrey, completely different comedian to mm. Andy Kaufman. Andy yes. Kaufman is, like you say, like this child who will go, I know a song that'll get on your nerves, get on your nerves, <laughs> get on your nerves. And just that is exactly that. it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like he will do that until until you break, until you start laughing. Mm. Or, or if you don't, he doesn't care. Whereas mm. at this time... Back in like nineteen ninety nine when the film came out, Jim Carrey was the guy who would make his his ass talk and just do anything to get <laughs> yeah, a laugh. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? He just wanted to please the audience, and I think Jim Carrey has kind of turned into a more of an Andy Kaufman mm. performer now, kind of in his later years. The Sonic movies accepted, but you know <laughs> if you look at some of the other stuff that he's done. Since Man on the Moon, like um, he had an H an HBO show about a, a Mister Rogers character, but I can't remember what it's called. But he's gone into that kind of, and it, he he's written a book. Like it's more, it's not comedy. It's not mm. laugh, laugh, laugh. It's mm. kind of it's funny, but it's in a way There's looking a deeper, I yeah. suppose. Yeah, different tone. Mm. So yeah, that's I think that's kind of interesting. But when you look at that documentary and you see how much he became. Yeah. A Kaufman-like character. 
Oh, you yeah, kind but of it was go, to an annoying level, though, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, you do he, kind of go, yeah. he, he was he seems probably like he was in danger of being fired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I heard a story about him as well, because he, he like we mentioned method acting, and he kind of did a bit of that. He insists on people calling him Andy, and I, mm. I maybe that was just to fuck with people, I don't know. But there was a story that Jerry the King Lawler, again, he's playing the, 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 the male wrestler who eventually comes to face in the end, and apparently Jim Carrey was they're doing a scene together in the wrestling ring and Jerry the King Lawler has a signature move which is the pile driver where you put the person's head between your legs and kind of sit down so it looks like you're banging your head off the mat or whatever so that's his signature move and the story was he was going to do it to so at the end of the match he's meant to do give you know the Andy Kaufman character a pile driver um Obviously, they in the studio didn't want that at all because it's a big star and this potentially could go wrong and hurt Jim yeah. Carrey. So what they had was a stuntman ready to... So he was going to set him up for the pile driver. They'd yell cut and then Jim Carrey would go and this stuntman would take the take the bump and, um, yeah, it would look fine on film. But Jim Carrey said to uh, Jerry the King Lawler, who apparently did not like Jim Carrey, <laughs> no. he said, yeah, he said, just give me the pile driver. I want to do it for real. And he goes, you sure? And he goes, yeah, yeah, just do it for real. It'll be fine. I know I won't get her. So he goes and he gives him the pile driver for real. And Jim Carrey doesn't move, says he's broken his neck and he has, they have to bring an ambulance in to yeah. take him out. He's fine. Of course he's fine. Yeah. You know, and they, you know, of course he gets pictures printed and put in the paper and you're like oh my god what an ass <laughs> but see, again a very Andy Kaufman thing yeah it helped yeah, all yeah. the publicity for the movie and everything absolutely <laughs> and sure didn't he go up uh, it tells you in this documentary he shows up to Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion as Tony Clifton and oh my it's god. fucking brilliant it's so funny and he gets thrown out of it and the whole lot it's I absolutely watch it's, it's brilliant but the yeah no the documentary is great and Danny DeVito has lots of kind of you know, eye rolls and uh, all the rest of it to camera in terms of, yeah. <laughs> am, well, I, you know, he, am I mad he, hiring this guy, you know? He was, uh, what you call it, he was an interesting choice as well. He's playing George Shapiro, who's kind of Andy Kaufman's manager. Yeah. But Danny DeVito, of course, co-starred was in Taxi. Was yeah. In taxi. <laughs> yeah, so it was an interesting, obviously in the taxi scenes, because a lot of the stars, you know, play their roles in taxi and kind of throughout they played like Letterman plays himself and yeah. and and a lot of the cast of taxi with themselves uh, I don't think Tony Danza was on set at the time but Danny Vio was just like oh, I'll leave myself out of it which was fair enough um but it was interesting when it came down to the casting of Jim Carrey as well because there was a lot of different actors considered for this um apparently apparently it came down to Edward Norton and Jim Carrey and the director Milos in terms of Foreman. look yeah mm. yeah I see it yeah. like I could see him being the character but in terms of all the rest the, of it the, ooh, I don't know I don't know if he could pull off the comedy quite as well Milos Foreman couldn't decide and at that time I think he said he left it up to the studio and Jim Carrey was still a bit more of a bankable star mm. uh, than Ed Norton at that stage an interesting one though um, one person who went for it, Nicolas Cage um, who actually looks <laughs> quite like especially at the time looks quite like Andy Kaufman really um, looks more similar than Jim Carrey anyway or Edward Norton um, and he's just crazy enough to maybe yeah. have done a great job on it I'm uh, interested in that actually I would pay uh, to see that happen I would <laughs> remake well. it but the alternate the multiverse of films yes. where different apparently, people got cast in different parts <laughs> well you'd love to see it but what happened there apparently was uh, I think he was talking to Jim Carrey about it about the role 
And I don't think Jim Carrey let Nicolas Cage know that he was interested. Oh. Um, so he t- he was expressing interest in it to Jim Carrey. Maybe he was asking advice because, you know, a comedian. And Jim Carrey goes, well, I tell you what I'd do. Big, if I was a star like you, they're asking you to audition. I'd say no, I'd refuse. I'd oh. say give me the role or nothing. <laughs> Oh, so that's what Nicolas Cage sneaky, did. Sneaky. Oh my and God. he didn't get it. I'm not sure if that's true now. It might just be a bit of an urban legend, but it's a very sneaky move if it is true. Oh, that <laughs> but, is sneaky. That is sneaky. Yeah. And what about I want that to see I want I want to see Con Air starring Jim, Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole other podcast episode. Yeah. It's kind of a good Jim idea. Carrey. I'm liking that. Yeah, um, is uh, the thing about Jim Carrey in this role? He gave he gave a great performance, landed him a Golden Globe. I think it helped with people to think of him as more of a serious actor. He just mm. come off, um, uh, what's it called? Ed or Truman Show? A Truman Show, Ed TV. He just come off the Truman Show and he won a Golden Globe <laughs> for that as well. Yeah, um, so he was kind of starting to show his capability capabilities as, uh, as an actor. Um, if I had one maybe reservation about Jim Carrey. He kind of just seems a bit cold or something in compared to, to, to Kaufman. Um, if you watch interviews and stuff like that, Kaufman, although he's like leaving up in the air whether or not he's joking or something, there's still mm. a bit of a twinkle in his eye, I think. Mm. You know, yeah. um, like he's yeah, like a bold child. Yeah. Whereas Jim yeah. Carrey seems like he might actually just be a psychopath. Well, <laughs> Jim Carrey, if you're listening, you are not a psychopath. No, I think like, you know, I see where you're going with Jim Carrey. I think these complex characters, like these kind of complex people, I mean, like, you know, he he is very much OK, over the top comedy, all that. But then there has to be a kind of a, a yin to that yang, if you know what I mean. So I think. Yeah. There, he does get what he freaks people out then when he becomes a bit more quieter and maybe as you say more, more reserved and colder definitely mm. over the years I've found that as well and it's probably to do it he has suffered a lot of kind of personal mm. you know heartache as well and different things True. and you know True. there's been a lot of horrible press around different things with regards to mm. him so maybe that's it as well it always kind of surprised me when you see, you know, these larger than life characters and then actually they could be a little bit dark maybe or there's this other side to them, you know, which mm. is, yeah, which is kind of disturbing when you look at stuff like that. I, I mean, you wonder as well, is that did he look at Kaufman or look at the script and go, there's a darkness there that I want to bring out? Do you know what I mean? That maybe mm-hmm. like when exactly. we look now at, you know, clips of him being interviewed or whatever that we don't see, you know, mm. but... uh yeah, I mean, you wonder what what it is that attracts these, especially like he would have been at the top of his game back then, yeah. Jim Carrey, yeah. you know, um, to to pursue and to stab Nicolas Cage in the back. To well, get the allegedly, <laughs> allegedly now that's that could be just a Hollywood. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just yeah. wanted to say no, that. No, that's it's it's great. But obviously, he re, he re, I think he really wanted it, and the commitment that you know we're talking about that you see in the documentary, you can see how committed he was to doing this, mm. yeah. whether it be because, and I think he won the Golden Globe. It was up for. Um, it was best performance in a comedy or musical, yeah. which I think mm. he was very annoyed about. Oh, right. <laughs> because yeah. it was yeah. like, you know, it's like, well, there's not music in it and it's no. not really a comedy, you know, no. from his Any point comedy of view. element that comes from it is basically the comedy that existed in real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, And also amazing soundtrack by R.E.M. 
Oh yeah, very yeah. iconic songs. Yeah. Very very cool. Very cool. Um, so it kind of brings me nicely to mind because we're talking about difficult uh, people on set. <laughs> uh, so my pick is, and we alluded to it earlier on, my pick is My Week with Marilyn from 2011. And uh, this is a film directed by Simon Curtis, who would be more sort of well known in sort of TV sort of uh, work as opposed to this. But anyway, and then you have Michelle Williams as the iconic Marilyn. Monroe, Kenneth Branagh, he's playing Laurence Olivier. Eddie Redmayne, he's playing Colin Clark, who I'll circle back to. And you have uh, Julia Ormond in there as well. She plays Vivian Lee, and Emma Watson is playing um, a girl who works in the in the wardrobe department in this. And also uh, Judy Judy Dench is in 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 this as well. But it's based on two books by Colin Clark, right? So it's. Uh, basically uh this character of colin clark who eddie redmayne plays it's kind of all seen sort of through his eyes so he was the son of art historian kenneth clark um and basically comes from this very well-to-do family you know all his his brothers and siblings or whatever all kind of high achievers and he was the one that wanted to kind of run away with the circus as it's mentioned in this and work in film essentially so it's on uh two books the the first one is the prince the showgirl and me and also my week with marilyn the name of the actual movie uh that one is um kind of a set of his diaries kind of documenting uh the time that he spent with her and both of those books were released after she died he'd never kind of disclosed anything that happened basically um until after she actually passed away so it's a moment in time really as opposed to let's follow Marilyn Monroe's journey it's not so much about her it's about Colin Clark really and Marilyn Monroe just happens to be a character in his story as such so as I mentioned, um, it's uh, centred around, uh, you know, he's left university. He, um, His father is kind of allowing him <laughs> to this frivolous thing of running away with the circus. And he just dreams of, of working in cinema. And uh, he decides to um, approach Laurence Olivier. He met him at a party before at the father's house or something. And he knows, obviously, that he's going to be working in a new movie. So he does what any young buck in show business would do he camps out in his office and basically begs him for the job <laughs> um so he shows up every day and basically he shows that look he's going to do anything to kind of get the job and they eventually sort of relent and uh vivian lee uh, Lawrence olivia's wife uh, comes in and she's like oh you know larry give him the job or whatever look how good he is and whatever he's doing so um Essentially, the next big movie that Laurence Olivier is not only going to star in, but he's going to direct in as well, um, is, uh, well, it's called The Sleeping Prince initially, um, but it is The Prince and the Showgirl. Uh, so you're kind of talking around the kind of late 50s. This is Marilyn Monroe heyday era. She's just married Arthur Miller as well, that everyone kind of was scratching their heads about. And um, she has come on board. She, she basically loved the play the prince and the showgirl and she had her own production company at this stage which people kind of might maybe forget about Marilyn Monroe Productions so she had the rights to this play and uh Laurence Olivier loved it because his wife had starred in the play on Broadway and things and he always loved the story and he wanted to kind of have this uh you know adaptation into into a movie so 
he basically strikes up a friendship or he reaches out to her and they begin to sort of to, to work together. So she has to come to, to, to London. It's going to be shot in Pinewood Studios and she's going to be taken on uh, the role that his wife, uh, Vivian Lee, would have taken on uh, the showgirl as, as, the, as the title goes. So it's well known at this stage that the production was completely married with difficulties between Monroe and all of her co-stars really and, and production team. Uh, according to uh, Jean Kent, who would have worked on, on, on the set at the time, she appeared dirty and dishevelled, never arrived on time, never said a line in the same way twice, seemed completely unable to hit her marks on set and couldn't and wouldn't do anything at all without consulting her acting coach, Paula Strasberg. So Paula Strasberg is a, is a character in this uh, movie as well. And she actually was married to Lee Strasberg, who would have been this sort of big... Uh, was he, he was really sort of a theatre uh, act, yeah, actor, I mean, coach, he, he, wasn't he? So when people talk about the method, which yes. often people do, they talk about uh, two big names, I guess. They talk about Stanislavski, who would have started it off back in Russia way back when, around the time of Chekhov. And they talk about Lee Strasberg, who then kind of adapted that and changed it a little bit. And he would have been operating in New York... Like you talk about Brando, you talk yes. about these and even like going on then after that Pacino and De Niro, you know, they would be, <clears throat> they would all be uh, students of the method that Strasbourg would have kind of um, initiated, which is the kind of, it's the American method as opposed to the original Stanislavski method. Um yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. It, look, it, it, you it, go on. We can talk about the method again. Yeah, <laughs> we can we can circle back to that. So, as I say, you know, this movie is it really is as much about Colin Clark as it is about Marilyn. So the film opens and it opens really well. It's uh, Michelle uh, Williams as Marilyn. You know, this life figure on the on the stage, and then you know you see this shimmering dress, and and then she suddenly turns and starts to sing, and it's all shimmying and pouting and seductive moves, all kind of classic Marilyn, and then you. See See obviously the full blonde wig and the red pout, but it's Michelle Williams singing, and the voice I have to say is pretty spot on. But I'll talk a little bit about that now in a second. Um, but the camera pans down and you realise it's her singing "Heat Wave" from the movie "There's No Business Like Show Business," and a young man, Colin Clark, is staring wide-eyed, transfixed at the screen. And this is kind of your introduction to to Colin. So he just wants to be part of all of this, you know, movie magic. Um. So he gets his first day, he gets his, uh, his shot and uh, he's the third, uh, they're called thirds, which is the third assistant director, which is basically a gopher. He's essentially <laughs> running around getting things for Laurence Olivier or whoever is higher up than him that's bossing him around basically. Um, so we uh, Marilyn arrives and there's a whole big hullabaloo at uh, the airport and there's a big press conference and everyone's delighted that she's in, in England and she's going to be shooting this and all the rest of it. And it's day one. And it's a table uh, read. And uh, t- uh, Niall, tell us the table read. Actually, you probably know all about this more than <laughs> I was gonna. I was gonna launch into this. What's a table read, Niall? Well, a table read is just when you get the script and all the actors sit around a table and they read their lines, essentially. Yeah. But you don't. Why is it called the read? table read? Is it because they're yeah. at a table? <laughs> That's exactly it, and they're reading. Yeah. Yeah, but it's is like, that why it's called reading? Yeah. Right yeah. But it's like you don't nest. It's like you say. It's just reading the lines. You can do yeah. a bit of the character, but it's more yeah. so. Let's just get like around the table. You will have some. Like you'll have 
a, probably a second or third assistant director read out the uh, stage directions, even yeah. in film. I think it'd still mm. be that. So it'd be like she walks in, she goes over to the 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 dresser and she picks up her uh, shawl and she puts it on. And then you're, you know, it is yeah. supposed to be, I suppose, you're you're not making choices, I guess. But you can, like you can as well, too. Sometimes, yeah. if you want to go, I'm going to do it like this today. I'm going to be Bella Lugosi. <laughs> so it's like basically, it's kind of a getting to know you and getting yeah. to know the character for all the crew and all the rest, or all the cast and all the rest of it. So it's here though that we are introduced to the wonderful Paula Strasberg. So she's the wife of Lee Strasberg, uh, the acting coach, and um, she became an acting coach as well and a real kind of confidant of, Mar- confidant of uh, Marilyn Monroe. So they kind of, like you say, they employed kind of the method, but they also employed effective memory techniques. So you tap into your past trauma mm. or past experiences to make the character's action kind of seem more real. So, And I, I think when people think now about the method, that's what they think of. They yes. think more about that Strasbourg rather than like the Stanislavski stuff, stuff was, was a little bit different, you know. But it is that, you know, the Daniel Day-Lewis, the yeah. kind of, I have to remember about my dead father if I'm playing Hamlet. And, yes, you know, all it's, of that. And it, it, it's not like... A lot of people who it's very attractive to young actors. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like people who go, I'm just out of drama school and that's it. And I think people grow out of it. Like Anthony Hopkins would have been a big method guy. And he's just gone. No, I'm just going to now act. (laughs) There's a famous story about Laurence Olivier and Anthony or um, Dustin Hoffman uh, making uh, uh, Marathon Man where Dustin Hoffman's character is getting uh, tortured by Laurence Olivier. And uh, he had, the character has been up for 48 hours and been beaten and all this. And Dustin Hoffman stayed up for that amount of time and, you know, made him like, he he, he made himself like physically exhausted. And um, he was doing the scene with Laurence Olivier and uh, he said, well, uh, why don't you just try acting, dear boy? (laughs) <laughs> so it is the yeah. you know you've got this film as well i guess is the yes. idea of the two schools of acting completely completely meeting. colliding yeah, yeah. And, and colliding it, yeah and as you get, mentioned um, kind of over what you call it overstated like the meta acting as mm. well like you hear about these grandiose things with uh daniel day lewis you know making his own canoes and living <laughs> in it you know living in the woods but then you hear the likes of Jared uh, Leto, Leto yeah. sending, you know, his co-stars like use condoms and rats and stuff like that in the post um, to get his mind for the joke. And he was playing Mr. Rogers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just like you're it's at some stage you're just like, oh, I get it. You're an artiste kind of yeah, thing. I, I think yeah. it's a bit. Oh yeah, no, it's totally like you know you you would jar completely with this, Ross. It's it's mm. it's two up their own holes, basically. <laughs> yeah, it, re- it really take really that, Lee like... Strasberg. Yeah. <laughs> so of course Monroe is going to persist with this method approach. Um, this is like obviously met with the disapproval of many of her of her co-stars. You know, so Paula is is there accompanying her. You know, at at all times, and you know, at this table read, um, she misses a line, and Paula's Paula's kind of going, you know what. 
what's why is she at the embassy like what's her motivation find it and then Laurence Olivier is like Paula it's a table read like calm down will you uh, you know and it's just he he already he's going what have I gotten myself into he's just he's he's already jarring with this and there's one particular scene uh, that I'm going to play for you a little uh, taster of it here so the, the line or the scene is simple enough she her character the showgirl walks into um a room and says uh one line and then another line says something like this is lovely too but she keeps missing the word too and Laurence olivier is losing it here it is <laughs> take 17. oh we're still the first ones aren't we gee this is all right too isn't it Now, would you wait? Marilyn, please, 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 tell me how I can help you. I, I don't know who else she is, I, and I can't act her if I don't know who she is. You have her precisely. You understand her inside out. I'm in awe of your gift. We all are. She's not real. Then why not simply rely on your natural talents? Are you saying you don't want me to act? Marilyn, will you just try to be sexy? Isn't that what you do? So as you can hear there at the end, he tells her something that sends her over the edge. He says, just be sexy or something. Kind of like what you said about Dustin Hoffman. Just act, my dear boy. He's like, just, you know, be sexy, be be who you are, be Marilyn kind of thing. Um, now, this sends her completely over the edge because uh, prior to this, she has found a diary or a notebook that her husband, Arthur Miller, has written in saying awful things about them and the marriage. And, you know, he shouldn't have married her and she's, you know, a really bad actress and all this kind of stuff. So uh, he moves, he, he heads off to America and um, he says it's to go see his kids. But we know there's trouble there and her behavior really goes from bad to worse. Um, so Colin uh, as the filming goes on he gets closer to her they kind of send him off to kind of find her and kind of make sure she's okay and they develop this uh, relationship and he's completely enchanted by this amazing star and he's soon you know accompanying her on day trips he spends the night with her and now nothing kind of bad happens let's say sexually doesn't happen or whatever but he does he become completely infatuated by her and he takes her he takes her out all that kind of stuff um and she like this is where really i think in this michelle williams is not just playing you know an actor uh an iconic actor she's also it's kind of like it's inception it's an actor within an actor within an actor (laughs) because norma jean will always say that marilyn monroe was not her like yeah. she put on Marilyn Monroe and this is where this new movie that you're talking about Blonde is going to delve into and if people have seen the trailer they'll get a little taste of this where um, you know the the uh, Anna de Armas is not her name the mm. actress is going to be playing Marilyn Monroe she's going where is she at the start like why is she not here and you know you're kind of going well, who is she talking about but it's really she's talking about becoming Marilyn and mm. in this as well that's alluded to because um you know, uh, towards the the end, the final kind of scenes uh, with herself and Colin, she she's kind of saying, you know, all people kind of want from me is Marilyn. And he's like, well, just leave it up behind, like leave it all behind. Come away with me. It's going to be fine. So on the one hand, she she would love to leave Marilyn behind. But at the same time, she can't. And, you know, she she does love and relish and revel in it because there's another point as well where she's um 
I think he's brought her out to Windsor uh, Castle and the, the press or people suddenly realise that she's there and she goes, will I be her? In other words, will I be Marilyn? And she does all her mm-hmm. shimmying and pouting and winking and all the rest of it. So there's all of that going on with, with regards to this. Um, one of the things as well, uh, just reading up and or watching kind of Michelle Williams in the making of this, um, she says uh, that um, this idea, yeah, you know, and this is where you were talking about this earlier on, Niall, about people's interpretation, you know, she's very aware, Michelle Williams, that there is Norma Jean, the person we never see in private moments that she has to tap into that's not Mm. out there in terms of any sort of recordings and also the Marilyn we know so she says uh, and even down to you know there's no recordings of her real voice so you know even in press conferences she says you know she's trying to kind of really relay a certain message about her and she speaks very purposefully and there's kind of a downcast kind of way of talking some of the times in her in her sentences so she had to kind of imagine what her real voice might be as well as that breathy Marilyn kind of, you know, voice as well, yeah. you know. And I think this movie works much the same way I think Spencer works, you know, and I know obviously that's not an actor playing an actor, but, you know, there's this iconic, obviously, figure. It's a time in her life. It's a chapter. It's mm-hmm. But it's seen through the eyes of Colin as well. So that's kind of another layer to this, you know. As I mentioned at the start there, she's a character in his story. Um, now, there's many things I like about this movie. I think, um, you know, I think she does an excellent job. Like, you you look at her straight away, it's Marilyn Monroe. She has all the moves down. If you, you can see even on YouTube people who have too much time in their hands. But we're great for this. Um, they've kind of compared the, two, the scenes in the actual Prince of the Showgirl and Michelle Williams in this. And it's spot on. Like, it's every mannerism is is exact but like we say she's bringing her interpretation of what marilyn's vulnerability Mm. and the fragile side to her that we didn't see publicly uh you do see kind of here i think to be honest it does have that kind of made for tv quality about it like there's nothing spectacular about the style of filmmaking the story's all right but I think really it's the cast. And again, actually, yeah. you know, we have Kenneth Branagh, obviously, who's playing Laurence Olivier. We have uh, Julia Ormond, who's playing Vivian Lee in this mm. as well. So there's a couple of actors playing actors here who are, like who are big, doing really It's great. a big name cast, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder, is it, cast. do you think, is it the director? Is it Simon Curtis? Oh, it's just... the director. I would yeah. love to have seen this uh, directed by somebody more capable. Um, mm. I, I, I feel... so it sounds like a compelling story. Mm. Oh, it is a complaint. Like it would mm. make you want you know. to find out more about the real Colin Clark, maybe, and kind of mm. and his um his time with her and everything else. And I mean, we're always going to be fascinated by Marilyn Monroe because yeah. she is this tragic and I, figure. I think, you know? like of all the actors that we're going to talk about in this episode, um, she is the one who's probably been portrayed by actors more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if that you know i mean there's a lot of tv movies about her mm. that there's a new one like we say coming up so like Which she i'm is. excited to see it looks like you yeah. know if uh Marilyn monroe walked into sin city a little bit it looks kind of like that <laughs> kind of vibe um but i'm yeah. excited to see you know i think from from the trailer and the little clips and stuff i have seen we're gonna see a different again we have to be wary it's an actor's interpretation it's not yeah. an impersonation that's that's one thing to kind of reiterate there um, and it's never going to be it's not going to be Marilyn Monroe yeah, yeah, yeah because that's it. who knows you know what I mean unless they have you know 
um, a diary that they're you know the film is based on, and you're yeah. literally um, you know basing it on that. But uh, yeah, it's funny because Colin Clark, who this uh, is based on his diaries, his brother Alan Clark is a very famous or was a very famous, I should say, Tory politician. Yes, that's who right. Was well known for keeping diaries as well, yeah. so it must run in the family. So mm-hmm. he was he was great for scandal at Westminster. He was, yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it, it's, it's a, a, like, a, again, like, if you're taking on a story um, about Marilyn Monroe, it's a great example of this because, like, I mean, Jesus, you'd need about five or six movies just to have aspects of her life, like, you know, mm. put all together. It's not going to work uh, when they have such a rich kind of, you know, life story to, to delve into. Yeah. This works, I, I think, I, I that think way, it, you know? Yeah, but I think it's a good snapshot. Yeah, and I think because it is snapshot. this little yeah. uh, little peek into this making of this movie where you had these two, like, Laurence Olivier is just as iconic as oh, Marilyn Monroe as yeah. well, you know? And you had these two, and you kind of go, well, that, wow, I want to see what happened there when the two of them met. Yeah. What did they mm. talk about? How did they get on? Yeah. yeah. And, like, there could be a little bit more of that. I mean, I know yeah. it's Colin's story, but I, I feel like Kenneth Branagh didn't have enough screen time, maybe, as well right. with this, mm. you know? And again, uh, you know, I would have I, I would have liked more of, like for a film that's supposed to be about making a film as well, there's not a huge amount of the making the film that we see, if you know what I mean. It, but again, yeah. it's because it's Colin's story. It's not, mm. and it's his diary, mm. you know? That's what we have to kind of keep remembering with regards to this. Yeah. Like in terms of the singing and the dancing, like Michelle Williams, uh, you know, even admitted herself that like she wouldn't have danced on stage since she was about 10 she wouldn't be classically trained that way. She went off, learned, did a lot of rehearsal. Like she really dove into the role. As soon as she put down the script, she was kind of getting into this. Like, um, so you can see that hard work pay off. I think on on the screen with regards to this. I, I recently watched on Disney Plus a series, a six part series called Fosse Verdon, mm-hmm. which is about uh, the choreographer director Bob Fosse and his wife Gwen Verdon. And she plays Gwen Verdon, who was a dancer, an actor, and she is amazing in that. Like she is, you can see the commitment that she brought yeah. to playing Marilyn in this movie. You can see that she also brought it to that. So anybody who's interested and uh, likes Michelle Williams, who I do too, um, I would I would recommend Fosse Verdon. Do you know what? It's it would be worth actually doing an episode even just on Michelle Williams because her career mm. has been extremely interesting. She can play lead uh gritty lead roles really well and she can play excellent support uh yeah. like she she really kind of puts everything into a character that she sort of takes on um so mm. it might be good to, to come back to her and it might be nice to do a, an episode on marilyn monroe as well yeah absolutely yeah well, let's do that. And, well you know what when you're talking about marilyn monroe as well it, outside of maybe princess diana it seems like mm. the well it, maybe there's probably more um actresses who've taken on a role it seems to be the one that's going to be constantly done over and over again every time with a new generation of stars yeah uh, yeah you know um so like it's interesting to see a new interpretation but it, it just seems like with um marilyn monroe and similarly with princess diana we're seeing a slew of movies about her recently i don't think it's going to stop oh no definitely not particularly now with you know big anniversaries around um both of them really and stuff mm. you know but i have to say as well like just saying i did mention it earlier on i did think that the spencer movie was hit the right tone i think in terms of 
you know, again, it's over a weekend in Diana's mm-hmm. life. I, I thought it was very clever and I thought uh, Kristen Stewart did a, did a great job on that as well. So moving from Marilyn Monroe to something very different now for you, Niall. Yes. So, I mean, uh, very different, you say, but I would say equally as iconic. Mm. So we're going back to 1993 and a film called Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Uh, directed by Rob Cohen, uh, which, in case you can't tell from the title, is about Bruce Lee. It stars Jason Scott Lee, who is no relation, Lauren Holly, who people would remember from Dumb and Dumber, Robert Wagner, who people of my age would remember from Heart to Heart. Um, And the reason, I guess, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this, apart from the fact that it's a film that I think is very good, uh, is because uh, people would... There's been a lot of controversy, I suppose, because Quentin Tarantino has been very outspoken about his depiction of Bruce Lee in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. And uh, for people who haven't seen that film, you should. It's a very good film. But uh, Brad Pitt plays uh, a stuntman and he comes across the real-life character of Bruce Lee and they have a little fracas and Brad Pitt's character comes out the better of it, basically. So he beats up Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee's family have been vocal. I think his daughter has not been happy about that. Now... I can see why Quentin Tarantino put that scene in the film because he wants to establish Brad Pitt's character. I think Cliff is his name. Mm. He wants to go, this guy is serious. He can beat up Bruce Lee. And that's good because it's a fictional guy. So, you know, that's fine. But um, my problem with Quentin Tarantino is he won't shut up about it. (laughs) He won't. (laughs) And he won't shut up about a lot of things. I really wish Quentin Tarantino would just make films and not talk. Because if you're listening, I yeah. still love you. Um, yeah. Keep listening. He, you know, just stop talking. He ne- no, he never, he never, like, I never read a thing that he says and go, oh, that's, yeah, I agree with that. Because he's always given out about something, whether it's his mother or John Ford or Bruce Lee. But this film, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, is a fictionalized account of the life of martial arts superstar Bruce Lee. Uh it's he died of course we would know under under mysterious circumstances in uh, 1973 at the age of 32 he was about like he he was hugely successful and hugely well known but if if he hadn't passed away so young i think he would have been an absolute megastar so in this film bruce lee as i say is played by jason scott lee who is no relation Bruce Lee's actual son, Brandon Lee, was offered the part but declined quite wisely, I think. Um, And it follows Bruce Lee from his beginnings in Hong Kong where uh, he grows up as a young boy and he receives his uh, training in martial arts. But uh, because he gets involved in an altercation in a fight, he has to leave the country. His father sends him off to the US. He begins there over in the US, he begins teaching the martial arts that he learned back in Hong Kong to American students, which is a no-no back then. And he eventually becomes a popular actor in the Green Hornet television series. So for people who don't know, the Green Hornet is a superhero. Of course, I'm talking about a superhero. So this was a uh, a spin-off of the Batman 66 TV show. So Green Hornet actually was around kind of yeah, around the same time as uh, as Batman, but he actually didn't have any a super- spin-off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was the same producer and yeah. so they cast uh, Bruce Lee as Kato in the show and Kato was like the Green Hornet's Robin, his sidekick if you like. Um, And he did all of his own stunts in this show. And the thing is, he was just too good at it. Because I'm going to 
we're going to play a little clip here and it's the stuntman walking Jason Scott Lee as Bruce Lee through what they want him to do in the scene and then they roll the camera and he does something completely different but it's amazing everyone's jaw just drops okay Bruce as soon as you get your cue light you come right through that door and you work your way down this catwalk here real careful as you negotiate this corner I want you to get down these steps just as fast as you can <laughs> not too fast I don't want you to take a tumble we don't want to lose you on the first show and when you get down to this landing do you think you could take these five steps all at once I'll try First positions, everybody. Roll camera. And mark it. Action. All right, Green Hornet. Where's the secret formula? Where it belongs. Okay. Have it your way. So in the first 10 minutes of this movie, we're introduced to a young Bruce. Uh, he is taking on a, a group of unruly U.S. sailors uh, in Hong Kong at a dance. And then uh, his father says, right, you got to go to the U.S. Uh, this is all made up. This is not true. He didn't have a fight and have to leave Hong Kong and go to the U.S. Um, and it kind of you can tell that this is like a very, very fictionalized account of his life. Jason Scott Lee playing Bruce Lee in this uh, is just fantastic. He has his mannerisms down. He has the way uh, Bruce Lee was very expressive. He has the movement of his mouth and and he has the martial arts moves, which is the most important, I suppose, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you learn that Jason Scott Lee had no martial arts training at all. But he has these stances and his his individual ticks down to a T so much that you you would think that it was actually Bruce Lee with Jason Scott Lee's face kind of superimposed except this was back in the day when there was no facial superimposing um but the film apart it's it's based on the a book by uh Linda Lee Cadwell who was Bruce Lee's wife and it, uh, the book is called Bruce Lee the man I only I knew and so apart from all these fantastic martial arts scenes, what you get is a lot of the personal troubles of this couple. Uh, Bruce Lee's temper and frustration over racism, not only in the US at the time, but in the business in Hollywood where he was going, uh, where he where he was he was trying to make a living. Um, and also the fact that, you know, his his own culture his Chinese culture. Um, they didn't want martial arts to be taught outside of their own of their own culture. Um, but the romance between Bruce Lee and Linda, played by Lauren Holly, as I say, is is kind of the centre of this film. Um, it is. I mean, neither of you have seen this film, have you? No. No. You'll have a great time watching it. 
it is a kind of it's like a soap opera movie with martial arts in it as well and a superhero film as well <laughs> you know it's got great it's got great fight scenes it recreates not only like us like we heard there scenes from the green hornet tv show but scenes from bruce lee's films like fists of fury and enter the dragon and things like that um and uh you know it it was th- there's also a kind of a a mystical i don't want to say mystical element to it but the the demons that bruce lee had in his own life are metaphorically shown in the film as his constant dreams of a demon chasing him and his son and there is this kind of idea that there is a curse there's a bruce lee curse because of what happened to bruce lee and what happened to brandon lee then uh, later on um and in this film like i say it's it, this this film brandon lee died i think the month after this film was released so it wasn't kind of clear but there was this talk about you know oh what happened to bruce lee oh my goodness um and obviously that's still something that people are invested in but the reason to see this movie is jason scott lee playing bruce lee and he brings to this role grace and power and humor and he is physically just what you'd want from somebody playing bruce lee and he knows when to to bring like there's a fantastic scene where they go to see breakfast at tiffany's in the cinema him and linda who would become his wife and for people who can't remember or maybe who have blocked it out mickey rooney plays a very very racist character a japanese character in breakfast at tiffany's and everybody in the cinema oh my god i forgot about that Everyone in the cinema is laughing, including Linda. Everyone is going, "Oh, it's hilarious! Look at the, look at the, that uh, hilarious uh, Asian stereotype." And mm. it, the camera just turn, like she turns to look at him, and you see, uh, you see all of this kind of internalized uh, frustration from this character that this is what the the Hollywood system sees mm. as an a, an Asian character. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. like famously after like the the Green Hornet show, the Green Hornet, it was cancelled, I think, after a season. It was it was shown in Hong Kong as the Kato show. So it was like it was about the Bruce Lee character. Bruce Lee developed an idea for a show called Kung Fu, which was hugely successful. And he was going to star in it and produce it. And it was a Western about a Shaolin monk who traveled around the West and basically would go from town to town and eventually beat people up with kung fu. <laughs> but um, the producers took that idea from him and cast David Carradine in that part with, you know, eye makeup to make him look Asian. So God. this idea of, you know, th- th- this frustration, do you know what I mean? And like I say, he died so young. I mean, he's already, he has a huge, he's had a huge impact on cinema and on culture. But if he had lived longer, I think it would have been even bigger. And right, Quentin, I know what you were trying to do, but uh, just shut up about it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're ruining it by talking about it so much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think you would both really enjoy it. Now, it is it's a PG-13 film. Oh, right. So it is kind of like a it's a. It's it's a soap opera. It's a romance. It's a you know. It's a story, and like I say, a lot of it is made up, but a lot of it is true. I think. So 
you know, if you want, uh, if you think that he was done dirty by Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, then this is the antidote. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to move then to, uh, well, we should, after that, someone's going to get kick punched, maybe is what I should say, <laughs> as opposed to uh, in, the, in the firing in the firing squad for 1001. It is, of course, yourself, Ross, isn't it? 1001 films to see before we kill you. It is. I'm uh, back in the firing line and the movie I'm talking about is Ed Wood from from um, 1994 movie directed by Tim Burton starring John Johnny Depp um, as I was like John Jonathan Johnny Depp or the or the, or the, the spaceman from the, or the movie he did like some bizarre thing at the VMAs where he was like a astronaut oh yeah astronaut yeah <laughs> famed astronaut johnny depp um yeah but uh, the reason we're talking about this isn't for johnny depp who's playing real life director yeah. ed wood um it's about martin landau playing um um bella lugosi <laughs> playing bella lugosi uh, but before i get into that i just want to know what is with people making movies about other objectively bad filmmakers <laughs> It's just a bizarre <laughs> thing. Like in, in 2017, we saw James Franco directing The Disaster Artist. Um, and he directed that and he and he, uh, and he played Tommy Wiseau, the director slash actor behind 2003's The Room, which is widely considered to be one of the worst films ever made. Um, and this is a similar case. Ed Wood is would have been earmarked as maybe one of the worst directors of all time. Yet he fascinates the public in such a way as does Tommy Wiseau from The Room that we're here talking about them, making films about them and turning their films into cult classics. It's the strangest thing. But I totally kind of understand it (laughs) as well. So so anyway, just to tell you a little bit about this movie before we go on to um, Marlon Landau's fantastic performance as Bela Lugosi. Um, So basically, back in 1994... Uh, Tim Burton directed um, Ed Wood. Again, Johnny Depp was starring as Ed Wood, the director and writer. Um, he would have been known now for... Uh, his. He was most notable for a bunch of really campy, low-budget science fiction horror movies. Ones that he made in the in the 1950s, the likes of Glen or Glenda, Jailbait, Bride of the Monster, and perhaps most famously, Plan 9 from Outer Space. I mean, the title uh, alone, seriously, yeah. has me hooked. Now, I've not seen Plan 1, Plan 2, Plan 3, Plan 4, Plan 5, Plan 6, It's not like the Fast and the Furious franchise. Can I I follow what's happening if I watch that one? Do you know what? I watched... You can watch these films on YouTube because they're all free to watch. Um, And I would recommend doing it because it's a surreal experience. If you enjoyed the likes of The Room... This would be right oh, up your alley. This is, yeah. It's, and they're worth giving a watch. Because after watching the film, I was like, couldn't be that bad. Could they? <laughs> <laughs> um, but they have developed a bit of a cult following since those sorts of movies. And I think if you watch it, you'll you'll see why. And you'll kind of enjoy watching it as well. There's something incredibly satisfying about a so bad it's good type of movie. Um, and, and his movie, like these movies were just known for terrible special effects like in in plan nine from outer space there's a particular scene um where he uses clearly stock footage that Mm -hmm. someone else filmed of an aircraft flying and then 
it would cut to another image of a like a clearly a plate wrapped in tin foil on a string. <laughs> like it's that bad. It's that bad. And then they cut back to this clearly stock image of of that. And then they'd cut to a set where there it's meant to be pilots in it, but it's clearly not. So he's known for that sort of schlocky stuff. There's also like just really poor filmmaking. Um, but you see, of, he didn't have the budget. You know he didn't I mean? have the budget. Someone, something kind of. I always wonder: had just Ed Wood been given a chance, someone give him a budget and see what he would have made out of it? You know, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure about. <laughs> yeah, that. I'm not sure because he. It's yeah. like he, like apparently the opening credits of Ed Wood cost more than all like <laughs> including for inflation and that's with inflation included cost more than all of his it. films put together or something like that and he made a lot of movies um so so he obviously was working on a really 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 tight budgets but just the writing wasn't there the plots made didn't make much sense you know they kind of jump mm. back and forth all over the place it's 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 like what seeing how how his mind works which is interesting because it's fucking mental um but he was like he was kind of falling into like he released all those movies they wouldn't have got a wide release wouldn't have got much attention and he was kind of falling into obscurity but he was posthumously awarded a golden turkey award for worst director of all time in 1980 which seems like this was the real thing that did a shot in the arm for his career although he was he was too late to to have to have seen it and just people love taking interest and stuff like that that's why lots of people have watched you know the um the likes of the room or that's why a lot of people have checked out bands like the shags who are like the worst band of all time uh but people are just fascinated by them they can't help themselves uh i think th- do you know what it's like it's like you know when you see the x factor and somebody really can't sing but just believes that they can sing and yes. you're like just don't do it man like you just don't i am any- i'm disagreeing with you both here i think the 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 I'm not saying these are fantastic filmmakers, Top of Zoe and, and Ed Wood, but I think the reason that these films work is because what you get from both of them, like both Tommy Wiseau and Ed Wood, is this, the characters, is this amazing love of what they're doing. Oh, yeah. What completely. they're doing yeah. is not good. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they're but in it with passion. They're That's in it I'm with saying. passion. And they attract people, especially like Ed Wood attracts, like he's a weirdo. And he yeah. attracts even weirder people to him. <laughs> Tommy Wiseau maybe is the most weird person and he oh, attracts God. more normal people. Yeah. But yeah. you know well, what I mean? Just it is normal this, by comparison, maybe. Yeah, and it is yeah. this, I mean, whatever whatever about uh, James Franco, but you can see where, why Tim Burton wanted to tell oh, this story. Oh, of course, you yeah. Know? Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. And even saying that, like, I know I was kind of giving him some stick for his movies. I did sit down and watch a few of them. Um, yeah. And I will say that even since they've grown to be kind of cult classics and, uh, you know, as is the case with a lot of things like this, given enough time, People have certainly gave them some of them a critical reevaluation. Now, I, I I'd say that might be stretching a little bit to, mm. but I can certainly see the value of it, especially if you look at a movie maybe like um, Glenn or Glenda, uh, Glenn or Glenda, which for the time, looking at the likes of you know um, 
uh, Ed Wood's own um, cross-dressing tendencies mm-hmm. and stuff like that at a time when maybe stuff like that wasn't talked about as much. You know, I can see the the, the merit and the value in that as well. So it's not it's not irredeemable he wasn't stuff. Of, uh, difficult subject matter, yeah. No, no absolutely, tra- yeah, not. Or tra- you know, or transgression say, yeah, or what yeah. you what you might call it. I mean, yeah. like Plan Nine for Outer Space from Outer Space. The best way to watch that is if you've ever like been to a bar or something where there's a film on like they have a you know they have a cinema bit and yes. you're not really watching it yeah, but it's the there and you kind of said you hear well, kind of half the, of things that's ambience, happening yeah. it's the ambiance yeah yeah, yeah yeah totally but the reason we're talking about this film is not for ed wood the director as interesting a character as he is why we're talking about this is because of martin lando who is playing bella lugosi um, and of course, you'll know ben Le- Bella Lugosi as Dracula. Mm. He's if you're if you're per- picturing a stereotypical um, Dracula in your head, that's Bella Lugosi. He um, he starred as uh, Count Dr- like he's an Hungarian actor originally, and he moved over to to um, to. Uh, he moved over to to America to start a, a, fil- a film career, and he actually had to leave uh, Hungary, <laughs> Hungary because there was a, a there was a revolution there, and he he was worried for his life and and stuff like that. But he he would be known as a quintessential, I suppose, uh, Dracula on screen. Uh, he starred in in, in Dracula in nineteen thirty one. His 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 very um, thick accent um now is just associated with the character and we've seen a million impressions of bella lugosi as count dracula um, listen he- to them the children of the night <laughs> what sweet music they make yeah it's fantastic though i gotta say i rewatched a couple of clips from after watching this movie i just rewatched a couple of clips as bella lugosi as dracula and he is just incredible oh no it's, it's a fantastic character. it's based on a stage play the 1931 todd mm. browning movie mm. but if you like that did you know that at the same time that was being filmed they made a spanish language version i did with a completely and in some ways... different cast and it's better it's, better <laughs> well, it's, it's yeah it's better because what they did was they watched what they used to do, this was back in the day before dubbing and stuff like that. So they used mm. to shoot the English version and then they'd shoot the other languages afterwards. Mm. But the Spanish crew who were waiting to film were watching the shots they what were taking. They and they said, how could we make this this, this camera <laughs> maneuver a little bit better? Yeah. And Apparently the guy who played, and you'll forgive, forgive me, I don't know his name. The actor who played the Dracula character the, in, the in the Spanish yeah, yeah. wasn't quite as good as Bela Lugosi no. but the shots around him and there is some yeah. scenes as well that weren't included in the American um, cut that mm. um, but were in the script but were included in the Spanish version so there's some interesting ones I haven't seen the Spanish one but I've always heard that it's well worth a watch mm. um, which is, is one to look out for um, so so he obviously has like he's he was an icon of of horror cinema as his career went on though he had a problem with typecasting he was so synonymous with the role of dracula that he he, he found it very very hard to get other roles he eventually ended up playing dracula a number of other times in movies as well and he kind of fell into the into the kind of horror movies turning to be horror movies that mm. kind of direction and by the time uh, where we see him in this movie he's he's an old man his career has faded um 
we uh, when when Ed Wood first seems it's a great character introduction. He's walking by a funeral director's shop or coffin maker shop, and Bella Lugosi is lying in the coffin. Yeah, um, <laughs> very reminiscent of his of his vampire character. And Ed King or Ed Wood can't believe it, and he goes in and chats with him. Ends up he's getting measured for a coffin because he doesn't think he has long left to live. Um, so Bella Lugosi, um, Ed Wood is bowled over he sees him as a as a as a hero of his but here he is he's he's old he's down on his luck he's basically broke he's not able to get any money um he's addicted to morphine uh he's an alcoholic pretty much as well at that stage and a lot of people are surprised that he's still alive when they find out he's still alive they all thought he was dead uh, as well as that he seems like he has a real big chip on his shoulder He's really bitter towards Boris Karloff, who, um, oh, yeah. who is the actor who played Frankenstein and stuff like that. Um, so he's bitter about that. Um, so, yeah, he's kind of not in a good place in his life. When Ed Wood meets him as well, although he's eternally optimistic in, in this, from what you can ga- I've gathered from uh, Johnny Depp's performance, he has no money, he has no prospects, but he's just desperate to make it in the movie business. So they start this kind of unlikely friendship. Ed Wood... Uh, leverages what star power the ghosty still has left uh, small enough as it might be to help finance his movies Lugosi just as happy for the work and for the money so they kind of form a bit of an alliance there and they start starring in all these movies and that's the story around it um actually just an interesting thing about why tim burton i think he was originally on as a producer but eventually became the director but he what he really liked about the script was um, Ed Wood's relationship with Bella Lugosi reminded him of his own relationship with another horror icon, Vincent Price. Vincent Price, uh, yeah. yeah. Who he, who of course, his last role was in Edward Scissors' hands, a Tim Burton movie. So he obviously saw some parallels between Ed Wood and Bella Lugosi um, that he recognised in his own life and his relationship uh, with, with with Vincent Price. But it's just, there's a lovely relationship beto- between them. Uh, but all of this, I think, all of the 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 great... The great performance of 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 the character Bella Lugosi in this movie is down to Martin Landau. He is just phenomenal in this movie, um, and he's an actor you'd recognize his face. And like when he was younger, he would have been, uh, you know, he had a role in North by North West, and um, he would have been well known for the Mission Impossible TV series. Um, I think it was in the sixties as well. But this was just an absolutely breathtaking performance for him. He won um, an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for playing uh, Bela Lugosi. And he just, he, he does it perfectly. He's able to get, there's a certain magnetism or, or something to Bela Lugosi. There's a something about him which you can't take your eye off. Hypnotism. He's hypnotizing yeah. you. <laughs> With the hands. Yes, the, the hands. hands uh, yeah, and it's Bella funny Lugosi's... actually. Now you you say kind of you'd recognise him. I could not recognise him because the, he's wearing a prosthetic nose. Mm. Now oh, he yeah. doesn't look anything like Bella Lugosi. Bella Lugosi was a kind of a stocky, yeah. kind of had a bit of a, a puffy face. Martin Landau's long and lean and very thin faced, but mm. his he doesn't look like Bella Lugosi, but he is Bella Lugosi. If that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And he manages to, we, we mentioned this earlier, he managed to have all the things you find iconic about someone like Bella Lugosi, but it doesn't take away from you seeing that person, seeing it as a person. It seems like a mm. fully rounded person. 
um, and you get an idea of the character that he plays and the, the life, you know, the life and the lived experience behind that. Um, I just thought it was just, a, it just bowled me over the performance. And I think he was the first actor actually to win an Oscar f- for playing another movie star. And I think the next person who'd win that would be Kate Blanchett. We've already mentioned as, as Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator. But I just thought it was an unbelievable performance. Um, like, you you guys have both seen this. Obviously, I was in the firing line this week. So, like, what, what were your own thoughts on it? Oh, well, you know I'm a massive fan of Tim Burton. So I, lo- I love a lot of his movies. But this is up there as, like, I mean, he's a, he's a love of an outsider, doesn't he? Uh, mm-hmm. Tim Burton, anyway. And, um, you know, just the, the idea, like you say, of this completely zany character who just thought everything that he did was gold like you know he just didn't even bother taking double shots of anything cut it like, print it it's done in one <laughs> yeah. like one yeah, take yeah. and he one loved and it done. even there's a, there's a great scene when someone does he walk into the door and the set all rattles and stuff <laughs> and <laughs> one of the cameramen is like uh, you sure you don't want to go there again like you know and he's just like no, no, I'm sure in real life he would struggle with this and you're just going to go and have a fuck. It's the wrestler, funny. isn't it? Tor, yeah. Tor Johnson. Yeah, that's, that's, it. Johnson. that's yeah. it. And 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 it's just, it's this idea, like I say, you know, this idea of these people who th- believe wholeheartedly that they're amazing at something and you're going... Mm no no you're not good like you need to give it up but they they can't because they're just or love. yeah, they, he's yeah in love again him, i'm I'm, you know? I'm gonna i'm gonna disagree with you it's not nobody should tell them to give it up it's that they find this family this dysfunctional family together you know what i mean they find this uh support system as well you know that that they and like Edward is going, okay, yeah, we got to move on. What's the next thing? What's the next film I'm going to make? Yeah. Where's plan 12 from outer space? You know, <laughs> because it's just, it's like, okay, that's done. Yeah. Move it. Like it's the antithesis of Kubrick who's going, okay, let's have another take, another take, 175 yeah. takes. He's going, yeah, let's move on. Cause we got more movies to make. Yeah. And Cause I love thing. making movies. And, and he, he like, whilst it does get to him, you know, studio executives and people laughing mm. at him, not taking him seriously, he really feels like he's this misunderstood artist that Hollywood won't accept kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And like you say, he does pit himself against, you know, amazing directors out there. And you're kind of going, okay, you're delusional a little bit. But it's this, and it's, it's, it's really, it is about a man who is in love with making movies and he's so passionate about the magic of movies and, and the magic Yeah, cinema. but what about Orlando? Uh, yeah, no, I'm coming, I'm circling to him. And it's this, what I, what I love about this is, you know, it's, it's like really this is about this relationship between the, Bella Lugosi played by Martin Landry and and Ed Wood and it's about kind of how this bond develops over time and everything and and like really and truly like what can you say like like Niall summed it up perfectly there like you know he no, he looks nothing like him really you know but yet he is every bit of Bella Lugosi like you would mm. fully believe that he is him and I think there's just such tender moments in it as well because again mm. we don't know their real relationship this no. is like you say Tim Burton drawn on on his own personal experience with Vincent, Vincent Price but also you know how th- he would imagine this would go and it, it, it's a beautifully 
lovely zany friendship and relationship thing yeah. that they have and it just it works so so well and i think not only um you know martin lande's performance in this obviously is, is is why we're talking about it but really it's all the elements isn't it it's this lovely chemistry between himself and johnny depp it's the story it's tim burton's expert directing in regards to it like just in general ed wood actually, is, is a brilliant movie it really even is. you're saying there with, with there's a tone balance here that's yeah. done quite well which might be mightn't be handled so well in another director's hands where it's funny uh, it's hilarious in, in, in parts but also really sad and yeah. and you're rooting for the characters in it as well you know so it's got a lot of heart so it's a it's a it's an unusual mix to get right but i think they nail it in this oh they do definitely and like that you know when he you know oh, i don't know maybe spoil too much but let's say something big happens and the filming carries on when maybe it shouldn't have um you know but it's it, this lovely moment and it's it's this it, like it's really about kind of almost like a father and son a mentor and a and a you know kind of a, a young guy that he's taken under his wing and it's this you know brilliant moment there at the, at the end with that but in true edward style he carries on <laughs> yeah yeah like, yeah oh my carries God. on and that's yeah. tim burton's darkness and lightness mm. juxtaposition kind of coming in and one there you know he's, he's he's very kind of preoccupied with all of that sort of stuff but um mm. yeah excellent excellent film and let's have a little clip of of martin yes. landau as, as bella lugosi i can't even fold my arms gee mr lugosi I've, I've never had any complaints this is the most uncomfortable coffin i've ever been in your selection is quite shoddy you're wasting my time Legosi. I told you, I don't want any of your goddamn coffins. No, no, I don't work here. Uh, well, who are you? What do you want? I don't want anything. I just, I'm a really big, big fan. I've seen all your movies. <laughs> Mr. Legosi, why are you buying a coffin? I'm planning on dying soon. No. Yes, I'm embarking on another bus and truck tour of Dracula, 12 cities in 10 days, if that's conceivable. So all that's left to do... And this is going to be weird, actually. <laughs> is to murder a scene. It's time to murder a scene. In the so finest we... tradition of Ed Wood. <laughs> it will be. It will be. I'm going to do my worst ever Johnny Depp trying to be Ed Wood impersonator. <laughs> yes. But we're not actually focusing. We've, we've talked about Bella Lugosi. We're not focusing on Bella Lugosi for this particular scene. Because he meets another famous director slash actor uh, one day at a bar and that is of course Orson Welles so to set the scene up basically Johnny Depp is financing his movie uh, and he's directing his movie um, Plan 9 um, oh let me get the name of it what's it called Ooh, do Plan do 9 from Outer Space hmm. Plan 9 from Outer Space he, so he's plan, he's directing his movie Plan 9 for Outer Space he has a lot of investors, actually a lot of Christian investors <laughs> are involved and they want to change elements of the story. And he's trying to direct a movie and, you know, kind of keep everyone happy and not listen to the voices and lose his creative vision. He eventually comes out wearing, as I said, he's a crossdresser, he comes out wearing women's clothing. But he gets frustrated with all the voices of dissent that he he has to go off to a local bar and have a whiskey. And while he's there, he he sees uh, at the bar um, doing you know revisions of some work is Orson Welles and he looks up to Orson Welles he's he's everything he wants to be as a, as a director and an actor so he goes down to join him and asks his advice and he gets some really reassuring 
um, advice uh, from Orson Welles about following your own vision. Um, in this version, um, if, if the Orson Welles is played by Vincent uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Um, he, his voice, which is you know clearly the very distinct voice of Orson Welles, probably one one of the most distinctive voices in uh, in movies is actually not voiced by Vincent D'Onofrio uh, it, it, it's voiced by Maurice Lamarche who's a Canadian voice actor who you'd probably know and you'll hear hints of that hints of that you'll hear that <laughs> voice we're trying a good to bit. take over the world yeah <laughs> he was he was the brain in the Animani- Animaniacs and uh, he did a load of other voice characters um, but uh, this is the only I think this is famous for being the only time Vincent D'Onofrio looks more attractive than Johnny Depp. And it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, terrible. I don't know. Don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have a listen to the scene. Excuse me, sir. Yes? Um, well, I'm a young filmmaker and a real big fan. I, I just wanted to meet you. My pleasure. I'm Orson Welles. I'm uh, Edward D. Wood, Jr. What you working on? Well, the financing just fell through for the third time on Don Quixote. Do you know I can't believe it? That sounds just exactly like my problems. It's the damn money, men. You never know who's a windbag and who's got the goods. And action. Imperial whiskey. Oh my gosh. Orson Welles. Excuse me, sir. Yes? Oh, uh, well, I'm a young filmmaker and a really big fan, and I just wanted to meet you. My pleasure. I'm Orson Welles. I'm Ed... Uh, sorry. I'm uh, Edward D. Wood Jr. What are you working on there? Well, the financing just fell through for the third time on Don Quixote. Don't you know? I can't believe it. These sound like my problems. It's the damn money men. You never know who's a windbag and who's got the goods. They all think they're directors. Ain't that the truth? Do you know that I've even had producers recut my movies? Oh, I hate when that happens. And they're always trying to cast their buddies. It doesn't even matter if they're right for the part. Tell me about it. I'm supposed to do a thriller at Universal, but they want Charlton Heston to play a Mexican. Mr. Wells, is it all worth it? It is when it works. You know the one film of mine where I had total control? Kane? The studio hated it, but they didn't get to touch a frame. Ed? Yes? Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams? Ain't that the truth, Mr. Wells? I'm going to do it. I'm going to show these Hollywood executives what I'm made uh, of. Hang on, you've got off script there. The line is just simply thank you. That's what I prefer to her to her way. That's the Ed Wood way. <laughs> it's it, the it Ed does, Wood way. It, 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 you did channel Ed Wood there always, yeah. <laughs> 
I don't have an Orson Welles. I need to. I need to oh, work you on need that. To, but you're, yeah. you have a kind of a deepness there. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're getting it. Yeah. You're getting it. I, I, I permanently had a half smile on my face there to try and do <laughs> as something as did Ed Wood in that scene. I <laughs> yeah. guess. Yeah. yeah, I think so. It's a um, fantastic scene, a fantastic film. I can't believe you uh, have lived so long, Ross, without having seen it. Yes. But yeah, now yeah. you, there's one less film that you have to see before we kill you. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> very true. Um, yeah, there was actually another film uh, with Orson Welles, me and Orson Welles, I think it was... Um, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Christian that, McKay yeah. and Zac Efron. Yeah, I British actor, it yeah. It's about, what were they making? It was some film in, in England, but... Yeah, and yeah. Um, there's another film about the in the 30s. John Cusack is in it. It's about the um, there was a, a government funded theater program that Orson Welles was involved in. Mm. Basically, now he's a peripheral character. So Frida Kahlo is uh, or Frida Kahlo's husband, Diego. Oh, I can't Diego. remember his name now. Oh, yeah, you know who I'm talking about. So it's about, yeah. it's public funded art basically. Yeah. And or it's because Orson Welles did this amazing, like nobody has like only the people who saw it when it was on version of Macbeth that was funded by the government back in the 30s because this was kind of to get people back to work. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, out of the depression, and oh, I I want to say it's Tim Robbins, but I don't think it is. But he's in the film. Uh, but yeah, Orson Welles is another one of those characters who turns up again and again, you know, yeah. because he is he's a big, literally by the yeah. end of his life, he's a big character, but he's a he's a big personality. Yeah. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I thought great casting him as well with Vincent D'Onofrio. He just, he just. Oh, he looked he's like very, he had the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But he looked fantastic. Yeah. He really did. Yeah. So we hope you enjoyed our look at actors playing iconic actors. Till next time, film fans. Bye. See you at the movies where you might see an actor play another actor. Or it might be like an Inception thing where you're the actor and you're watching an actor and then they're watching an actor. And it's like mirrors kind of reflected back at each other. When the world's a play. Actually, I'm not going to finish that thought. Bye. You have been listening to The Real Take, presented by Sinead Brassel, Ross Leedy, and Niall O'Brien. Our music was provided by actor, artist, and musician Will Guppy. You can find him on Instagram at will.guppy. And you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Real Take Podcast. If you would like to contact us to tell us how fantastic we are, you can reach us at therealtakepodcast at gmail.com. See you at the movies.